Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for helping us with this podcast. They uh, they really do make this podcast possible. And if you have a creative endeavor and you want to see how the Cleveland Public Library can help you out, visit cpl.org. Again, that is cpl.org. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And when you do that, rate and review us. You can find us on all your favorite podcasting services. We're on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn. And when you rate and review us, it helps other people find this show. And we're always looking for new listeners to uh, give our knowledge to, right? And uh, if you ha- have any feedback, be sure and send that my way. You can do that via email at srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that is srichardson at cleveland.com. So we're going to get to today's guest in just a second. Uh, today we're going to have kind of an issues-based episode here on Ohio Matters. Um, we've got Aaron Pickerel waiting in the wings. He uh, was the state director for Obama in 2008 and a senior advisor in 2012. We are recording this before President Obama comes to visit and campaign for Richard Cordray. So uh, we'll be talking a little bit in the future tense, but uh, um, he will be here on Thursday night, as I'm sure most of you already know, since this episode is coming out Friday. With that, let's go ahead and get to Aaron Pickroll live via Skype. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, great. Thanks for having me, guys. So we wanted to talk to you because you have some real insight into, um, you know, President Obama, not only his campaign, but into his uh, political life. You were there um, really through the thick of it. Uh, State director in 2008, senior advisor in 2012. You also, I believe, helped out with Hillary Clinton in 2016, if I'm not mistaken, correct? That's correct. So uh, we, we do kind of want to go back, and how did you get involved uh, with the Obama campaign in 2008? Yeah, you bet. Um, I moved to Ohio in 2006 to uh, run Governor Strickland's first campaign for governor and ended up working in his administration for around a year and a half. Um, and as the general election season started to approach, a lot of friends of mine were working on President Obama's campaign um, at the time, and, and since I had just come off of Governor Strickland's campaign. I, I talked to them about doing anything I could to, to help President Obama's um, campaign and ended up getting hired to be his Ohio State director a couple of days after the primary ended. As, as you guys remember, the, the primary went up to the very last day in, in 2008 into the beginning of June, and I was hired right there at the beginning of June to be the Ohio State director. And you'd done other campaigns before. I'm curious, was there anything different about that 2008 campaign from maybe some of the other campaigns that you'd run? Everything about it was different. Um, the amount of energy and enthusiasm, uh, the the folks who volunteered for this campaign, it was we joked about it at the time, but it truly was this sort of grassroots, people-powered campaign. And it felt like at times that we would open up a campaign office in some community in Ohio, and people would be lined up to volunteer. Um, as you guys know, like that's not that common that uh, you have people that are so enthusiastic to volunteer for a candidate that they're just chomping at the bit to get there. But it felt like with President Obama's campaign in 2008, the level of enthusiasm about him and his candidacy was so palpable that uh, it was really, really a neat thing to, to watch. And one and something that I've never seen, I hadn't seen before, and I haven't seen since. And how do you remember Ohio Democrats feeling? And those are kind of heady times where obviously 2006 was a big year for you guys. Uh, and it's sort of almost hard to relate to given how much things have changed. But so where, where did Ohio Democrats kind of think they were at that time? You know, it was people were really excited, but it was also, you know, a lot of trepidation. We've had Ohio's been a presidential battleground state for a long time. And I think Democrats in particular have seen some really close calls 
uh, here on the presidential level and not quite gotten there. So I think that there was certainly enthusiasm coming out of Senator Brown's election in 2006 and Governor Strickland and everyone else, but a lot of trepidation and understanding that, you know, winning Ohio with Barack Obama as the candidate in 2008 was going to be a real challenge. Um, but there was real enthusiasm and he was, President Obama was really able to tap that enthusiasm and harness it. So what was the strategy for winning Ohio that year it, uh, as kind of a right leading state, despite it being a swing state historically? How, how do you think um, he's able to approach it and win? I mean, we really did run a statewide campaign. I know that it's sort of cliche to, to say that you run an 88 county strategy, but the Obama organizing model was built around neighborhood team leaders, um, about as grassroots as you can get. So you would have folks in these local communities who would own a piece of the campaign. They, and I couldn't believe it at the time, but when the, the folks who had been working in the primary came into Ohio and were telling me about it, that we would make potential neighborhood team leaders would go through a test. They would have to, to prove that, that they had the dedication to be a, a neighborhood team leader, which is an unpaid volunteer position in their community. So these folks would own a certain number of precincts. They would be responsible for phone banking and canvassing, data entry, all these aspects. And then our field organizer's job was to provide them the resources that these NTLs needed to, to do their work. When it was all said and done, we probably had four or 500 staff in Ohio that were working with over a thousand neighborhood team leaders. So this was not just built in the urban areas or just built in the suburban areas or anything else. We were organizing across the state. I think the, the way we had it set up was five deputy field directors, 26 regional field directors, and then hundreds of field organizers underneath those regional field directors that would go out and do a lot of canvassing and organizing these offices. We had over 100 offices across the state. So we wanted to make sure that anybody who wanted, regardless of where someone lived, we wanted to make sure that they had an opportunity to go out and work for Barack Obama and organize in their community and make sure that people understood, understood what was at stake for this election. And that's really the way we built it. I mean, obviously, we had a lot more staff in Cleveland and a lot more staff in Columbus because it was, we built the, the turf around what the vote goals were in particular regions. But the goal was to, to do everything we possibly could to squeeze out every vote imaginable because we knew it was going to be extraordinarily close. We knew we couldn't just focus on the urban areas, try to run up the score as much as we could, and then just hope we didn't lose as bad in some of the more rural communities. We had to go out and, and reach out to every community in Ohio. Why do you think that Democrat? Let's back up a minute. After Obama's election is when you really started seeing a lot of electoral woes for Democrats, not just in Ohio, mm -hmm. but really nationwide. And, um, you know, eventually Congress did kind of come to a standstill after, you know, really his first two years. Why weren't the Democrats able to capitalize on Obama's landslide victory and popularity um, going into, you know, 2009 and beyond? Yeah. I mean, I really. I really think that it's one of those things that the popularity of a president and the constituency that a president builds up is not transferable to other candidates or other elected officials. Um, I think we're going to see it this year in Ohio with President Trump's um, popularity amongst the base. I don't think it's necessarily going to be transferable to, to Mike DeWine and Jim Renacci and others. Um, I think that and there was also a lot of a lot of the enthusiasm that was built around President Obama was also built around his agenda, the issues that he was out advocating for, healthcare reform, immigration reform, things like that. Um, and sometimes those national issue priorities that, that activists may have don't necessarily transfer to a state rep candidate or even a governor's race. Um, you know, I think that the OFA, the Organizing for America effort that 
succeeded the Obama campaign in 2008 was this great network of organizers and activists and things like that that were very, very helpful. But it's not – you can't just say like, okay, Obama had this massive operation and all this popularity. We're just going to take that and give it to this candidate um, and allow them to use it to, to go forward. So you written the Strickland campaign also in 2010, and that we kind of look back at that year as a Tea Party wave. But actually, Strickland's race was pretty close. So how were you guys able to keep it close? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, a similar model to the Obama. I mean, it was, you know, Ted had the ability to to reach out to all pockets of Ohio. We had a big organizing staff again, not as big as we did with Obama. I mean, it is one of the challenges of Ohio. We have we have a lot of of a large population center. So to truly have a grassroots organization, you need to have a lot of staff. And we did in 2010. Um, and we tried to, to get out there and do everything we could, but it was, it was one of those things that the way the, the state of the economy and the sort of tea party enthusiasm, uh, was one of those things we just couldn't quite get over the hump. Um, so it was, we tried, I mean, I, I, I naively sort of thought that we could transfer, um, the Obama, sort of OFA popularity into Strickland's effort. And I think it helped immensely. I think that being able to to utilize these people who, these activists who had just come off a competitive, successful presidential race in Ohio, harnessing their energy for Strickland, we were able to do a lot of it, um, but obviously not quite enough to, to get over the hump. So what was different about Obama in 2012? The results were actually pretty close, but at the same time, you know, you typically see a president's popularity fall off in the second term, and it's kind of more of a slog. So what, what, was, mm-hmm. what were your observations? Yeah, I mean, 2008 was just such a heady time. Um, you know, you'd had a Republican president for the eight years prior. You'd had significant economic crisis, financial crisis that the president had to deal with. Two years of of democratic control in Congress, but then that sort of sliding away massive fight around the Affordable Care Act. So, you know, I think a lot of it was the, in 2008, it felt like we walked into this thinking we could do anything, that we could be post-partisan almost. We could change the, change the nature of the way people looked at politics and the way people looked at government. And I think President Obama certainly did that. Um, but then political reality seeped in as well of, you know, having Republican uh, congressional control, uh, Republicans in a lot of uh, in a lot of governor's offices and legislative offices and things like that. So it was. But then and you also have your president. So there are people that were upset about certain policies that in the four years that he'd been in office, other things like that, that changed it a little bit. But it was still very much he's just I feel like President Obama is this. He truly is sort of a transformative figure, I think, when it comes to politics and government, because people relate to him in a way that I haven't seen people relate to a lot of elected officials. And that was still there in 2012. But it wasn't it wasn't the crazy, you know, people lining up outside the the campaign office doors quite as much to to go knock on doors, but still a lot of enthusiasm. And, And obviously there was enough enthusiasm for him to be successful here again. And actually, a fun nugget that I turned up from the 2012 election is that Obama won Ross County by one vote, um, which <laughs> is south of Chillicothe and not really a hotbed of Democratic activity exactly. Um, so I think that kind of illustrates that Romney had some weakness in that part of the state. Uh, yeah. Do, what do you do? I have that right then? Yeah, totally. I mean, it was Romney allowed us a real opportunity to to highlight his 
inability to connect with sort of everyday Ohioans. Um, you know, the car garage, uh, saying the auto bailout wasn't necessary. Um, 48% comment. I mean, there are a lot of aspects like that, that we're able to highlight in, in 2012. And one of the biggest things, I mean, when it comes to the, the auto bailout, we obviously big economic factor in Ohio. When President Obama was able to help preserve the industry, we were a little nervous initially, like, okay, is this an issue that the majority of Ohio cares about, or is it going to be something that's going to really resonate just in Toledo and Cleveland and Youngstown and sort of the northern Ohio markets? And our research folks were able to, to figure out that 80 of Ohio's 88 counties have jobs that are impacted by the auto industry, supply chain or some other um, sort of industry. So we spent months traveling around Ohio, going to every community we possibly could, um, talking about how there were jobs that were directly impacted by um, President Obama saving the auto industry in your community. So we really tried to take it to that granular level where it was it was relevant to, to them. So it was looking into so going into 2012 is like looking to figure out what what accomplishments from the previous four years can we really take and highlight and, and make it relevant just to Ohio and the auto auto industry was a was a big one for us. And I do want to correct myself. Obama lost Pike County by one vote. So sorry, Ross County. Um, <laughs> but uh, so another interesting thing about Obama's presidency is that kind of at the end of his term, you know, uh, much of his his presidency was kind of marred by partisanship and gridlock and stuff like that. But you actually saw his approval rating climb towards the end of his presidency. Um, uh, why do you think it was otherwise pretty low throughout his time in office? And, and why do you think that maybe that happened at the end where he suddenly became more popular? I mean, I think that there was a point where Republican leadership in Washington did everything they possibly could to try to make him fail. Like, I think that there was a, there very much was a concerted effort to try to undermine the efforts that he was trying to, to push forward. I don't know this for a fact, but it seemed like towards the end, folks started focusing on other aspects as opposed to just trying to hold back President Obama's priorities. And it let him let people see what he was fighting for and how he was out there pushing forward and kind of undid a little bit of the the gridlock. I don't know if that's actually true. If they, if any gridlock was undone, but it, it felt like he was able, we were able to highlight more of his accomplishments, and people were able to see them for what they were, as opposed to having them viewed as much through a partisan lens. So, if you look at the vote totals from uh, 2008 to 2016, I believe uh, President Obama kept relatively the same amount, uh, but Mitt Romney actually got, I believe, 90,000 more votes than John McCain did. Um, mm -hmm. I, was that a sign of possibly things to come in 2016? I mean, was it uh, was it a warning shot for Democrats that maybe nobody, not everybody saw? Uh, that's a good question. Not necessarily. I mean, I think a lot of it was, I'm not convinced Ohio is trending. I mean, Ohio is probably a purple state with a bit of a red tinge. I think a lot of that was the fact that there may not have been just this unbridled enthusiasm that we had in 2008 and then you had more wedge issues that could be utilized in 2012 on president obama because he'd been president for four years and people could you know attack aca you I know mean, by that by that point it felt like obamacare was constantly under attack and there are a lot of other aspects that that were people were attacking on i think that was you had some of the environmental issues i think probably you know had an impact in some of the appalachian counties but i haven't actually that's a 
I haven't looked through all of the comparisons for a lot of these counties. That'd be an interesting exercise I should do. So what were you thinking in 2016 when Trump, you know, really ran away with Ohio by an even greater margin than Obama won? Yeah. I mean, naively, um, I thought that the the vote totals that President Obama was able to achieve in a lot of the more rural slash Appalachian communities were going to be like a baseline that we weren't necessarily going to go below the, those vote totals that he got. Um, and I was wrong. Um, it was, a uh, you know, Trump performed at such a high level in a lot of those rural communities that I, I just really, you could feel it during 2016, but I really didn't see it coming at the level that it did. And that was part of it. It's the, you know, the, the more urban communities weren't that much different from where, like from an o- Obama vote, to- Obama Hillary margins. But the, the way that he ran up the President Trump ran up the margins in a lot of these rural communities was a surprise. So why do you think Trump was able to win Ohio the way that he did? I think because there's the factor of it seems weird to say it, but to a certain degree, Donald Trump was a hope and change candidate in 2016. Um, he went into a lot of these communities and said, I'm going to bring back the manufacturing jobs. I'm going to bring back the coal jobs. I'm going to blow up NAFTA and bring back all these industries that have been impacted by, by trade. Um, I'm going to make your community like it was back when you remember it very fondly, all these sort of unattainable promises almost, um, that, that he would, he, he would do. And I think that, I think that, Combined with, you know, the party in power, a lot of times there aren't that many times that the after eight years of a president, the party of that president ends up winning. Um, Same as in 2010, the party that controls the White House winning governor's races and things like that. It's just not that common to happen. So I think that Trump was able to to tap a lot of economic anxiety, um, say what folks wanted to hear and say that, you know, I'm going to be different. Uh, And I think that helped him a lot. So we were kind of talking about, you know, Appalachia and how Romney had some relative weakness there when he ran in 2012. Um, As far as kind of trying to read the tea leaves and sort of assess what's happening with the trend lines in Ohio, I think you look at somebody like Ted Strickland, who obviously uh, was an Appalachian congressman, um, you know, popular, uh, nearly won 2010 in a rough year, but he he didn't make it, won in 2006 by a landslide. but then he turned around and lost by 21 points in 2016. Um, so you said earlier that you don't think that Ohio is, I think you're going to say, trending quite as conservative as maybe sort of people might think. Um, so what, what do you make of that, though, with somebody like Ted Strickland and, and following the trajectory that he did? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think a lot of 2016 was the, the atmospherics. I think, you know, I think Senator Portman ran an extraordinarily well-funded campaign. And um, at the end of the day, there are a lot of financial aspects that came into play. And, and I think that Ted was also a victim of some of the general atmospherics of what was going on in Ohio. Um, I mean, the case in point that I use now, though, is, you know, Sherrod Brown is running an extraordinary campaign right now. Um, he's very popular across the state. Polling shows him doing extraordinarily well. And, you know, Sherrod has a lot of the same attributes that, that Ted had. And I think that I think Senator Brown is I haven't seen cross tabs in the polling and things like that, but I, I'm guessing that Senator Brown is performing at a, 
at a much higher level in a lot of these Appalachian communities and some of these more rural communities than some of the other Democrats may have done in 10 or 16. Um, so I think I use that example more of just the way that I think things may be trending a little bit. I, I, I do think that this state's a toss-up, and I think that Ohioans look to candidates and elected officials that are going to help make their life better. And they, they go on a case-by-case basis, and they look at how their community is doing, how their school district's doing, how the industry um, in their local community may be performing, and then look at the candidates and, and determine which one may be the most likely to help make their life a little bit better. Do you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for statehouse happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting Capital Letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. So Obama won Ohio twice, but also was to some degree a pretty divisive figure. Uh, How do you think he's viewed today? I I think he's viewed very highly. Um, Having seen him step back into the the political sphere, I'm excited to see um, him coming to Ohio on Thursday. I think that I think he's going to get a really warm reception. Um, I remember he was on the trail out here in 2016. He came out for Hillary a couple of times, and there is a true enthusiasm for him. Um, I think he, you know, I think ultimately President Obama is going to be viewed as one of our greatest presidents. I think that what he has done for the country on health care and um, a lot the econ- economy and a lot of other things like that, I think he's going to be viewed very highly. I think for it seems like a lot of presidents, when they first leave office, um, may not leave office with the highest marks, but it seems like he has. I think that the fact that he's kind of been outside the political realm for the last 18 months also has made people sort of hungry for his return. Um, so I think that I think this election cycle, he's going to be an amazing asset for for Democrats who are running for office, and I think that ultimately he's going to be viewed as a as one of our greatest presidents. You said something pretty interesting a minute ago. You said the popularity is not transferable to other candidates uh, as kind of what happened with um, Obama and Ted Strickland. And I'm wondering, you know, um, whether you think Trump can uh, transfer his sort of magic to other Republicans or if Obama is able to transfer some of his, you know, uh, charisma, if you you will, to say a Richard Cordray or something like that. I mean, is is that an effective way to uh, politic in this state? I think it I think it helps it helps shine a bright light on on the positive aspects of a candidate. Like that's the you can't bank on saying like okay, President Obama is coming into campaign for me, therefore I'm going to be able to take all of his popularity and move forward. But I think that having the president come here on Thursday for for Cordray, he can highlight a lot of the positive aspects, highlight a lot of the positive things that that Rich did at CFPB and why the president supports him. I think that on President Trump, it's a, I think it's a really interesting question as we go into the into the next two months of how what aspects of President Trump's presidency and and popularity is is going to be transferred. Is it the the negative aspects? Is it the positive aspects? Um, 
how does all that work? How does Governor Kasich's popularity um, and his relationship with President Trump come into play? I think that you've got a in Ohio in 2018, I think we have a really interesting political dynamic on the Republican side of how the DeWine candidacy, the Trump presidency, and the Kasich governorship all intertwine and work in the electoral aspect. Um, I was on the uh, campaign trail last week for the Senate race. Uh, Sherrod Brown and Cordray appeared together at a Labor Day festival in Lorraine. And I think um, Clinton won Lorraine County, but it's also kind of typical of the um, kind of struggling, more blue-collar area in northern Ohio that uh, President Trump did well in. Um, so on the stump, Cordray referenced how President Obama asked him to help with the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau and all, and all that stuff. So it, it sounds like, based on what you're saying, you think that that's good politics in those types of areas to sort of um, invoke President Obama in that way. I do think so. And I think that, and for, for Rich, too, highlighting you know what he did at CFPB, like why President Obama asked him to run this agency, the priorities that that the president gave Cordray to go focus on and then Rich achieving a lot of them. I think that that's a great thing for him to, to run on. Um, you know, I've been wondering because Obama is sort of described as this candidate who kind of transcends normal politics, um, uh, specifically the candidate, not necessarily the president. Um, we saw what he did in 2008 and um, even in 2012. Um, is there any value in actually trying to kind of emulate that success for Democrats? I mean, it seems so unique to um, Obama himself. Um, and if there isn't any point in trying to kind of emulate the Obama model or whatever, um, what is sort of the path forward for Democrats? Yeah, I think that I think there's a lot of utility in emulating in, in terms of going into every community, not not seeding any voters. I was looking through some of the old pictures and stuff I had from 2008, just to kind of remember all the places that we went. But we went to a church service in Lima. Um, we did an event in Georgetown, Ohio, and in Perrysburg and New Philly, um, these bus tours that, that the president did. We, you know, we went through Appalachia with, um, with Joe Biden and also President Obama. And I think it was just one of those, one of those candidacies and one of, like, for guy running for president of the United States, the amount of time and effort that he put into Ohio and going to all the places that he could was just immense. And it let people connect with him. And I think that that's what I think that's what Cordray is doing right now, too. I mean, I think that I think Rich is traveling around a lot and I think voters want to see him. They want to understand what his priorities are. And that's a benefit to, to his candidacy. I'm, I'm all I'm a big fan of, of having candidates go and campaign in every corner of the state you possibly can. Is that where you think Democrats have failed in some aspects, maybe not going to the, uh, you know, far reach of the, the reaches of the state because they're probably going to win the cities. But, you know, like you said, uh, Obama did fairly well in kind of Appalachia. And those were really the margins that sunk Hillary Clinton. I mean, have Democrats just been ignoring those areas? I think it's I mean, I don't think Democrats have been ignoring the areas. I think, you know, every candidate has to look at what they think their path to victory is. Um, it's certainly a lot of work to travel around in these smaller communities. You don't get, you know, you go to a community where you're going to be in front of 20 voters versus a community where you could be in, in front of a couple hundred. Um, but you can generate a lot of earned media and a lot of goodwill and, and activate your, your volunteer base a lot more. So I don't think Democrats have been ignoring. Um, I just think it's, you know, each candidate has to look at what they think the best path to victory is for them. So what are you up to in the 2018 cycle? I'm working on the the non-candidate side of the world, helping out with some of the 
independent expenditure efforts to help galvanize and energize uh, progressive voters across the state to try to help Rich Cordray win and Sherrod Brown win. Um, I think that they're both great candidates. We have a great statewide ticket and some exciting congressional candidates in Ohio. And it, it feels good. I know that it's it's going to be a really close election and um, it seems like everything's basically a jump ball right now. But there truly does feel like there's enthusiasm on our side. I think the the issue the issues that this campaign is being built around, um, the fact that healthcare is one of the most pop, is probably the most popular issue among voters right now, is exciting to see, and I think benefits us. So, I'm just gonna not working for any candidates. I've got a couple small kids, and uh, I learned the hard way in 2016 that working full time on campaigns and having small children doesn't go that well together. So I I'm not doing that this time, but trying to help from the from the sidelines as much as I can. So you worked, uh, you ran a campaign in 2010, which was the Tea Party year, as we referenced earlier. And and so one of the things we've been talking about throughout this show is whether the same ingredients might be around this time. It's obviously it's not a perfect analog, but do you do you see any of those factors maybe coming or some of the the vibe of that year coming in in this year at all? I really do. I think you know the the Tea Party was really able to to galvanize around President Obama. Like I think that they were pushing back on whether it be uh, TARP or the Affordable Care Act or whatever it was, the the Tea Party kind of built this energy around opposing aspects of President Obama's agenda. Um, I think that President Trump is a much more polarizing figure than President Obama was. And on the Democratic side and the progressive side, you can really feel a lot of energy. I think Danny O'Connor's campaign in the 12th, um, you know, I would talk to people who would be out canvassing in Powell or canvassing in areas that are traditionally more Republican parts of the state. And they, you know, they would knock on someone's door and they would say, I voted for Donald Trump. I'm so glad you're stopping by. Um, I can't wait to go vote for Danny O'Connor because we need to have checks on the, on the system. I mean, and I think that our activist base really sees the ability to make a difference in this election. Um, and I think that it's kind of the, the flip side for the Republican side where I don't, I don't feel like the Republican base necessarily knows how to respond because, you know, does Mike DeWine really support president Trump? Is he support John Kasich Is the Republican base more on, on in the Trump camp or the Kasich camp. So I think that they've got a much more demoralized base and we have a much more energized base, I think right now. So Democrats have kind of been kicked around in Ohio for the last few election cycles, and we haven't even talked about 2014. Um, but do you see a path forward then for Democrats in Ohio? It seems like you're pretty uh, optimistic about this year, but also going into 2020. I am. I'm, I'm very optimistic. I think, you know, I, I, I moved here in 2006 when a Democrat won by 20 points um, in 08, when first African-American president uh, won Ohio, 2010, where... Strickland almost won in a really challenging year nationally. Um, 2012, President Obama won Ohio again. Uh, 2014 was bad year, and thank you for not bringing it up. Um, <laughs> 20, <laughs> and then 2016, I think, was a really odd year. I think that there were, you know, and it wasn't just an Ohio thing in 2016. You saw it in Pennsylvania, and like these industrial states we're really struggling in 2016, I think, on on what to do. And I think that and I do think that President Trump tapped into an anger and an almost enthusiasm to to try to see 
you know, what, what would happen? Like this guy says he's going to bring back all the manufacturing jobs. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think voters are certainly seeing where those promises stand now, but I think that, um, I think we've got, I feel good about the way things are. I think that the Cordray campaign is extraordinarily well run and doing a great job. And the Brown campaign is doing a great job and all of our down ballots. The fact that, you know, Democrats are out raising the Republican candidates, um, that Cordray outraised DeWine in August, like all those, all those things. It's never just about money. It's never just about polling. It's never just about knocking on doors. It's never just about the scandal or the issues that are out there, but between sort of enthusiasm on our side, the fact that we're, that our democratic candidates are certainly in the hunt from a financial perspective, the fact that the Republicans have sort of an issue headwind between ECOT and the Rosenberger scandal, Medicaid expansion, and the Trump-Kasich divide and some things like that that they have to deal with on a regular basis. I think that those are all, all good things in the Democratic column. And you're from Iowa, but you're an Ohio guy now. Uh, yeah, I've been here 12 years now. So I, I think I've, as an adult, this is about as long as I've ever lived anywhere. So I'm an Ohio guy now. So where do you see the Midwest kind of uh, being as far as priorities go for national Democrats? You, in 2016, I think when uh, people were maybe a little overly enthusiastic about their chances, you heard Democrats talking about like Southwest and Texas and that kind of thing. Um, so where do you think the Midwest is it kind of falls, you know, as far as the future elections go? Yeah, I think as you look across the Midwest right now, and just looking at the governor's races, um, Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf is going to get reelected. Michigan seems like we have an amazing shot of winning that governor's race. Wisconsin, Scott Walker's in a lot of trouble up there. Looks like we could certainly win the Iowa governor's race. Um, a lot of these states that I think people thought that there was this new political alignment that was going to happen and that the, the industrial Midwest was no longer a Democratic bastion and may not even be worthwhile spending effort anymore. And maybe we should focus our efforts on, you know, galvanizing the Southwest or even galvanizing the Southeast. And that was going to be the new the new path to victory. Um, I think that 2018 is certainly going to show that Democrats can and will win in Ohio and that in two, as you go into 2020, um, we're again going to play a big role in the presidential race. So what kind of presidential candidate do you think would do well in Ohio in 2020 uh, from the Democratic side? Someone like Sherrod Brown. Um, I think having a, having someone uh, who understands the dynamics of middle America and what the economy is like and, and what it means to to be in some of these states that at one time may have had a, a really robust industrial infrastructure and that's transitioned and changed combined with agriculture. Um, I think, you know, someone that can be relatable to a lot of a lot of folks in the Midwest. I think we have a lot of candidates like that. And you don't where you're from and where you currently live or represent does, doesn't necessarily dictate that. But I think it has to be someone that can can really come into into these communities and go to Lima or go to these other places and, and talk about the issues that that are going to resonate with with those folks, and that's it's one of the things I love about the Iowa caucuses, is that it the Iowa caucuses force every candidate to to truly be able to articulate and and persuade at a very granular level. Um, so the fact that Iowa is going to be at the top of the list again means that folks have to go through the sort of midwestern um, training ground before they can come to Ohio. Is Sherrod running in 2020 or not? 
It's a great question. Um, I would endorse that candidacy, <laughs> but I think you're going to have to ask Sherrod on that one. Oh, we've asked him. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> he says no, but who doesn't say no right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm ruling out running for president. I've made that very clear. But yeah, I, I will also you... decline the candidacy. This, consider yep. this my Sherman-esque statement. <laughs> Um, so you, you were also uh, in Ohio for sort of the emergence of John Kasich. Um, you know, in 2010, you ran against him. Um, so what was it like, you know, as a guy who was sort of a, uh, ran against him in 2010 to see Kasich kind of emerge as this like friendly kind of friendly uncle kind of persona that he's now sort of adapted? And, and what do you think about him? Yeah, it's it's been it's been really I've had to get my mind around it at various times. Um because I still revert back to my 2010 mindset. Um, I think that he's done some good things. I think the Medicaid expansion and some of the other things that he's focused on have been great. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily buy the sort of postpartisan um, persona, uh, but uh, I, I appreciate the fact that he's stood up against his own party um, on a lot of things, and when, whether it comes to energy independence or Medicaid expansion, um, focus on higher education, I think that he's done some things that are that are really beneficial to the state. And it's been it's been nice to see someone operate in a way that isn't just uh, sort of knee jerk partisan. Who's more likely to run, John Kasich or Sherrod Brown? <laughs> I mean, does, is it feels to me like there's no question that John Kasich's running. Um, or at least wants to run and is doing everything humanly possible to, to be in that position. So I, I'm, I'm going to say uh, John Kasich is more likely to run. So we like to end here on a little bit of a lighter note. And I don't think you know this about me, but I'm also an Iowa native as well. I was born there. And uh, I see you're an Iowa State grad. And I'm mm-hmm. actually an Iowa fan, so you and I are actually going to play a game together real quick. <laughs> I am going to name my favorite uh, athlete from Iowa State. I'll actually name two for you. How about that? And I want you to name your favorite University of Iowa athlete for me. Oh, man. All right. I'm ready. Oh, you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. All right. I, I will totally wholeheartedly admit to being a Seneca Wallace fan when he was with the Iowa State Cyclones. It was great. Mm-hmm. That run was awesome. I think uh, for me, when I was growing up in Iowa, uh, looking at me, you wouldn't guess, but I was a wrestler. Uh, Dan Gable was one of the best athletes um, ever to come out of the University of Iowa and uh, out of the state. So he was. I think he's probably the, the greatest athlete from the University of Iowa. So I bet wrong on which sport I was going to go with because Cale <laughs> Sanderson was my other choice. So <laughs> There you go. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.